It's season three of Ing Podcast, a production of Meadow Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? We proclaim by uncovering the history of why prisons were developed, highlighting its racial disparities, and calling out the ways concepts of otherness have determined who's imprisoned and who's considered human. And I think taking that hard look at it has been so significant before we can start talking about what do healthy communities look like? How do we as people of faith imagine that um, biblical vision for justice that I think we are called to? Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being. People who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Ing Podcast. I'm really excited today to have two guests with me here on this episode. I'm here with Dani Lazaro Manalo. She is the Racial Equity Education and Advocacy Coordinator for Mennonite Central Committee here in the United States. And with Lorraine Stutzman Amstutz, who is the Denominational Minister for Peace and Justice uh, with Mennonite Church USA. Thank you so much for being here with us, friends. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. This conversation began because of a new uh, webinar series called Beyond Incarceration. Um, This webinar series has already started. Uh, We're two sessions into it. But when I learned about this, I thought, boy, this would make a really interesting kind of feature piece here for Ing Podcast and reached out and um, got put in touch with the two of you. I'm wondering, uh, besides your titles, could you introduce yourselves for the folks who don't know you? How do you describe yourself these days? By way of introduction, I would say that I think it's um, important for me to acknowledge, you know, where where I'm physically located in Lancaster County. It's on the um, land of the indigenous people of the Susquehannock and Lenape. And so I think that's just um, important just to acknowledge that and and acknowledge the violence in our history um, as I talk about that, particularly as we talk about the topic we're, we're discussing today as well, um, I would also say in terms of my work, um, I'm with Mennonite Church USA, have only been in this position, position since May. So some days I still feel like I'm really trying to figure out what it is that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And most days I love it. Um, so there's that piece. I also this week became um, grandma for the fourth time. And so that's a really significant part um, of life as well right now, enjoying that um, the birth of a new granddaughter. So that's just a little bit about me. Great. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Um, and let's see, I've been with MCC since fall of 2021. So um, I was told when I started, it would be a couple of years before I would really get my, <laughs> my footing. So in many ways, I still feel new. Um but uh, have been doing, uh, my position is externally focused on uh, constituent education on anti-racism and decolonial work. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, I I live here in LA. uh, I'm really connected to my community, uh, which is predominantly uh, Latinx. And I live here with my toddler, my partner, um, and I have a baby on the way. So um, about six months along. And so, uh, it's been, it's been good times. <laughs> yeah. 
Good. We've got some new life on our uh, episode here today. That's exciting. Well, this is somewhat of a unique uh, endeavor with a uh, Mennonite Central Committee, a mission agency collaborating with uh, a denomination, Mennonite Church USA. Um, Can you tell me just a little bit about how this project took shape? Well, I can just say that prior to coming... um, to work for MCUSA, I did work for Mennonite Central Committee for about 25 years. And so a lot of my work uh, was also in peace and justice. And I did a lot of restorative justice work. And as part of that, mass incarceration was actually probably an area of passion when I was doing my work uh, with MCC. And I think coming to work at MCUSA and having this also be part of my portfolio made it an easy decision to kind of reach out to my MCC colleagues um, who have a mass incarceration working group. And so just having conversations with them on a monthly basis to say, you know, what are some ways that we can collaborate to ensure that we're making sure we're providing that education to our constituents. So yeah, it's, it's been great to reconnect and work with them. Yeah. And I mean, on our end, so we do have this mass incarceration network, Um, And we had just, um, the network consists of MCC staff across all of our regions in the U.S. that um, work on some level on issues of mass incarceration, be it through partnerships, um, education, um, and yeah, and and, and other services. And so we had actually just finished uh, doing almost like a year-long visioning process for what this network um, was hoping to to do moving forward. And it was just around that time that Lorraine had stepped into her new role and um, we invited her to be in that space with us. And, you know, as as we started talking, we said, well, this is, we had, the visioning process had actually been centered around these themes of proclaim, intervene and create. And then um, that in conversation, we were like, well, what what does a webinar series look like? And how do we invite um, other organizations and partners and, and just experts in the field that we want to learn from ourselves or that we've been observing or that we've been working alongside um, and and creating that space in a way that's more accessible, I think, too, for the faith community, because we do, we have done a lot of learning tours in the past, um, but they require a little bit more time, more of a time commitment. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, coming up with it in this platform uh, has been really exciting and to partner with Lorraine has been incredible. And even just within MCC to partner across all of our regions has been really meaningful. I worked as a campus minister at Penn State here in State College, and uh, the director of the cultural center on campus used to say, um, it's really hard to convince students who who come from privilege, who've never experienced injustice, to care about justice causes. Mm -hmm. And my hunch is that with incarceration, you probably face some of that too. If someone has never experienced how the incarceration system works, had a friend or a family member go through that, um, I'm guessing a lot of the time we often don't even think about it. In fact, here in Center County, we've got um, a large state penitentiary as well as our county jail really close to us, um, but it's tucked away over a hill so that we don't really ever have to think about it. And uh, I'm curious, how did you get drawn into this um, very important work, given that kind of reality, that circumstance that we deal with, uh, of it kind of being hidden away from um, primary focus? 
I could go way back when I did my um, master's degree in social work. One of the things that I decided to do because I was also working for MCC at the time um, was I did some restorative justice work in prison. Mm. And so honestly could just, it, it was, um, I think if you ever go into a, a jail or prison, it's pretty obvious about who's there. And if yeah. you uh, talk to people about their experience, you see the harm and the violence that happens um, and the loss of humanity that those who are incarcerated often feel because of how our prison system is actually set up. Yeah. Um, not to mention the injustices of, for some, how they got there. And so I think, um, when I did my master's, one of the things that I tried to think about was how do we, how do we help people be more in touch with what does it look like for someone who is impacted by incarceration? And sometimes it's hard, as you said, when that's, it's over the hill and um, tucked away, or they haven't experienced it with someone, a loved one or friend, then how does it impact them? And so one of the things um, I actually um, worked with Howard Zare to talk about how how this impacts children. And so we know that three million three million children on a daily basis have an incarcerated loved one. And so when you think about it from the children's perspective, so I did interviews with children of incarcerated mothers, and then um, Howard Zare did photographs for that. And so at MCC, actually, we had an exhibit that was a traveling exhibit that talked about the impacts of incarceration just on the children mm. who have done nothing but um, are suffering the trauma of what it means for them to have a loved one who is incarcerated. And in this case, this was um, talking about um, mothers for my master's degree. We, I, we broadened that for the exhibit and then actually turned that into a book called What Will Happen to Me that was published a number of years ago. So I think that was just one way, you know, so I feel like um, that's just something that's been a passion because we continue to see the injustice. We know that the U.S. incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. And so I, I feel like we have to be asking questions about how that happens. And um, I always feel like I, I put in a plug for Michelle Alexander's book, The New um, Jim Crow, because it talks about that history of incarceration simply replacing slavery that, you know, we had yeah. in, in the U.S. And so I feel like that's, there are places where we need to start um, providing the education and people just being alerted to in terms of what's going on within our legal mm. uh, criminal justice system. I'm originally born in Trujillo, Peru, and I grew up in Los Angeles um, undocumented for many years. So in a lot of ways, um, the reality of detention centers was always kind of looming mm. um, over my family's head for a long time um, until we were able to find a pathway to citizenship. Um, and just being really aware of um, the way punitive structures were kind of set up in society yeah. um, for myself, um, through the education system, seeing friends getting pushed out and just um, being put on track uh to in that school to prison pipeline. Um, and so I think that I maybe didn't have the right language um, or the lens for it for a while, but I was aware of it. So then when I, um, when I went to college and I started um, pursuing ethnic studies and, and doing some, some more learning and just trying to situate myself in society and, and navigating two worlds and just through that diaspora, um, I, 
I grew really passionate about it very quickly because it clicked for me. It clicked for me um, for a lot of the realities that I experienced and I saw a lot of loved ones experience growing up. Um, and so it just, it always made sense. And then, um, and then through my own like spiritual and faith journey and just being active um, within the community and how we support each other, um, a lot of times with our work in the church, it's, we're we're just trying to survive, right? And so we're yep. just in this state of like, how do we survive? Or so-and-so is, is, is in a detention center, or so-and-so has this on their record, and how do we um, obtain bail money? Or, you know, how do we do these things? Um, and so just through a lot of that organizing and, and um, finding ways to care for each other through that, um, I became really passionate about it. And... Um, and just quickly came to realize like this is what faith looks like in practice yeah. right like this yeah. this is this is the practical application of that work um so that was kind of my my journey to it hmm. what's once you're touched by it once you've experienced it in just some small way i feel like it transforms you in the same way that you know someone who's who's experienced cancer in in themselves or in a loved one suddenly this whole community mm -hmm. opens up and you realize just the magnitude of of how many people are carrying this as well um, I'm really intrigued, uh, as, as we got going here today, I said there are, this is a webinar series broken into different parts. We've already had two of them and there are still two to come. Um, but you've, you've broken them up into these four parts and have given each one a word. The first one, uh, was titled proclaim the second intervene. And then the two that are still to come create and practice. And I'm curious if you could talk just a little bit about how you've, um, set these up, how you've, uh, defined these four unique sessions in the webinar it's outlined as four but initially it was just three sort of themes of the proclaim intervene um and create and when we when we drafted when we were vision boarding we were like let's go non-linear we're not gonna you know try and and do this in a in a very um uh tradition Western, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of a way. And so it, yeah, it, yeah. it looks like this, if you were to look at it, it looks like this map with just like a lot of bubbles and, and mm -hmm. things in there. And so we, we wound up outlining proclaim, intervene and create. And while in the webinar series, they are kind of outlined in a, obviously in a series in a numerical order. And then we have practice um, on the vision document. It's actually in a circle um, knowing that we arrive at this work um, through many different pathways, right? And sometimes it's, it's we we arrive at this work in, at the point of intervention, or 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 we are learning about it, and and we're in this proclaim stage, or we're um, been in it and sick of it, and we're like we're in the create stage. And so, um, just knowing that uh, folks engage in different ways, but the proclaim uh, conceptually being us proclaiming that there is harm in the criminal legal system, right? And we do. We proclaim by uncovering the history of why prisons were developed, highlighting its racial disparities, and calling out the ways concepts of otherness have determined who's imprisoned and who's considered human. Mm. And also as a part of that, um, proclaiming that Anabaptist, our Anabaptist theology calls for nonviolent and restorative ways of addressing that harm. Mm. And when we, uh, so when we were dreaming up that first webinar series, it was very much a conversation of like, who, who have we seen doing this work um, in our communities um, that could that could come and, and share with us and 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 teach us um, uh, how to lay that foundation and how that work happens and that's how um, 
our connection with North, North Park Seminary happened, and that was the invitation with our first speakers um, that came that came on board with us. And then with Intervene, um, we did uh, intervention as as a way of of disrupting the criminal legal system uh, by advocating either for reform or abolition based on the local uh, context of our partners, but supporting individuals that are caught up in the system um, and their family members as well. And so, and then through that process, just centering a commitment to those who are harmed um, and interrupting those cycles of violence that are plaguing the mass incarceration system. Mm. And so based on that, there was another conversation and that's where we invited um, uh, Tiasha Bankhead and Hassan, um, who came and shared a lot about their work with their partner organizations, and this is more of a panel format. Um, and it's just, I mean, the learnings that we've had um, and the, the discussions that have been had in those spaces have just been so meaningful and transformative and just so real, I think, too. I think a lot of times, uh, conceptually, the work in mass incarceration is either sometimes it's idealized or, or um, I don't know, but to have folks that have been in it and have been doing that work and just speaking truth into these are the barriers that we face and yeah. these are the realities and actually the challenges that we have. And then also seeing um, seeing that hope. Uh, Hassan, during the last webinar, said, I'm a hope fiend, you know, and it just yeah. and yeah. it just stays with you. And he's like, I'm, I'm addicted to hope and I keep pursuing it. And so um, being able to hold both and, and, and knowing what it looks like to step into this work. Um, powerful. I think that's a good segue into my next curiosity, and that's how has it been going so far? Um, it sounds exciting, Danny. Uh, what, what have you, what have you discovered? What have you gleaned from these first two uh, webinars that have taken place? I would say, um, apart from the need to have practice um, runs so that we can deal with the technology issues. <laughs> Actually, that's been on, on our side. There's, there's been so many, we've been so many involved that we've just, yeah, just figuring all of that out. Um, but it's gone really well. And I think, you know, in terms of, you know, how it's been so far is I, I feel like those that we've invited have just really helped us to take that hard look mm. at, um, you know, the current, legal criminal system is a racist, violent system. We know that. Yeah. Um, but, and I think taking that hard look at it has been so significant before we can start talking about what do healthy communities look like? How mm -hmm. do we, as people of faith, imagine that um, biblical vision for justice that I think we are called to? Um, and I think that's what they provided with us, I, uh, for us. I think that that hard look has been really helpful and just having that clearer understanding. And then, yes, to have um, Tiasha and Hassan talk about the hope and the work that they're doing and how how that looks for people who have been um, previously incarcerated and, are, and, and the work with returning citizens, I think that's been a really, it has been helpful to hear and um, really a sign of hope for us as we've listened to them and for those involved in the webinars. Mm. Has there been any pushback? Have, have people said, you know, this isn't the space that we should be talking about this sorts of things, the church should not be involved in incarceration, or have, have people generally been on board and understood that this is important to take on? I would say the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, we do have, uh, one of the things that I love about these webinar series is we do allow 
at the end, 30 minutes for question and answers, answers from the speakers. And so it's really a space where participants get to come in with those questions and like, mm -hmm. what about this? Or, or this is my back, you know, we've had questions from folks that are saying, um, I've typically worked with sex offenders and I don't, I have a hard time seeing what that looks like. What is, what is um, reconciliation and restorative justice look like in that space? And then asking those questions. And, um, and I think there's an openness to have that conversation. Right. And, and yeah. ultimately um, the response being, we're talking about um, what are alternative ways to address the harms that are being that are happening in society, right? As a faith community, we have to be prophetic in the ways that we think about, um, is this really the best that we can do? This is the best that we can come up with? Or yeah. or do we see the kingdom of God unfolding in new and different, unexpected ways um, that that care for how they, they respond to harm? Um, which is why I'm really excited about the next uh, webinar, which will be Create, which really focuses on like, what are some of these, where are these, um, alternative systems happening right and how are they um and uh how are they unfolding in our society and how are people responding um to different forms of interruption that that look and think outside of what we know um and what we think has to be um but yes i think having that space um for the question and answer we do send out evaluations afterwards as well because we we are aware that um there's different triggers for people when people come with many different experiences and um and the hope is that that they'll voice those things because I think that enriches the conversation. I mean, those those that's really where we need to be talking about those difficult things yeah. and um, coming up with solutions together. Yeah, I think one of the the hopeful things for me in doing these webinars is that the idea was let's do these webinars and then we also have this learning tour component to it. Mm -hmm. That when the webinars are complete, that within each of MCC's four regions, there will be a learning tour in one case too. And, and I think, so I've been involved in these learning tours that happened previously when I was with MCC. And I remember thinking, um, you know, I think when we started the learning tours, part of it was people came not having an understanding of what the legal system, what we meant, what the historical implications were and how it was playing out. Um, currently. And I think by providing these webinars, it provides people who want to do the learning tour this kind of background information that I think has been so incredible to hear from people on the ground doing the work, hearing from a theological perspective that they can hopefully listen to before engaging in an actual learning tour where they're hearing and seeing what it's like either um, for, for someone returning to our communities or even going into a prison or a jail. I think that's where, for me, the hope of that really puts some, some feet to it. You know, mm. they can see it, they can yeah. experience it in a very different way. So I think that both and has been um, really hopeful sign mm. that for those who've engaged, they've engaged fully and been asking great questions. Well, friends, if like me, you are sitting here wishing you had attended webinar one and two, um, don't fret. There is a uh, recording online uh, on MCC's website where you can view the first and second Beyond Incarceration webinar, and you can mark your calendar for the third and the fourth one coming up on March 7th and March 21st. Um, Lorraine, Danny, thank you so much for taking the time to be here to share just a little glimpse into this very important um, work being done 
to um, remind us again to uh, to care for those who are in need, to care for those who are incarcerated, and to be working at um, reimagining what a better alternative might be. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so thank much. You. Next week on Ing Podcast, we'll be sitting down with Melanie Springer Mock. She's the author of a brand new book called Finding Our Way Forward, When the Children We Love Become Adults. When my kids first transitioned to adulthood, I held on to that fear and I parented them through my fear for them and for what they were experiencing in the world. And then there, I had something happen to me and it was an epiphany of a kind where I I recognized that I had to let go of my fears and and just love them. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org. The 500th anniversary of Anabaptism in 2025 gives the Church a unique opportunity to celebrate and dream. Menno Media invites you to celebrate and dream with us as we embrace the hope and possibility created by this momentous anniversary. As our world continues to evolve and change, the Church needs to increase our capacity to offer creative, imaginative resources that inspire people to commit to grow in Christian faith. Menno Media's vision is to lead the way in helping North American Anabaptist Christians experience spiritual renewal by creating fresh, forward-looking resources for Anabaptism's quincentenary celebration. Each resource will offer spiritual inspiration, connection, education, and invitation to the Anabaptist community and to the broader Christian church. To learn more about Anabaptism at 500 or how to add your voice to the first ever Anabaptist Community Bible, visit anabaptismat500.com.